Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here today. We're going to wrap up our series, Love, Sex, Kids, and Life. And some of you are really glad we're wrapping it up. I understand. I guess I feel like I should say thanks and congratulations to those of you who showed up last week for the very first time. And I talked about sex, and you came back. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I, I do deal with that issue on a, well, at least once a year or so, because our culture deals with it every day. And as I said last week, I want to, us to be uh, leaders and salt and light in the midst of a very dark world. So I make no apology about talking about sex, but today we're not going to go there. We are, in fact, going to talk about marriage. And again, I realize a lot of you are single, and some of you are divorced. And listen, I understand. My hope is that if you're single, you'll take what we uh, will unpack today and understand now what you will need later. It's, it's a good idea to learn ahead of time. Rather, You don't have to learn the hard way on the job training. The other thing is if you've been divorced or you've been through I, some of what I may deal with today, you think, man, wish I'd have known that before, or that's kind of painful to be reminded of that, or I don't like hearing that. I understand. And there's lots of grace here. You know this is a grace place. But I, again, I want you to perhaps identify some things that you need to understand that could bring healing into your life, that could bring some hope back into your life, and that will certainly help you in any future relationship you may have. I've said this all along in this series, and again, we're wrapping this up today. Next week, we start a series, three-week series on spiritual gifts. After that, I'm going to do three weeks on heaven, which I've never taught at length on that, excited about that series. And then before we know it, we'll be into the holidays and the Christmas series. Can you believe that? Wow. It's October this week. So we're, we're coming very quickly up on the uh, busiest season of the year. But I've been saying all along in this series, relationships matter. Now, you know, that's like, duh. Of course they do. We all know relationships matter. But they matter a great deal to God. He wants us to be in great and, and holy and healthy relationship with him, and he wants us to have that kind of relationship with people around us, all of the people around us. To, at whatever level of relationship we have, he wants it to be good and, and growing and even better. Part of what we're going to deal with today is I'm going to talk about what real love is and isn't. We're going to talk, take a look at romance in uh, just a moment. I'll show you a video. We're going to talk about expectations, how we all have them, what that means. But uh, one of the things I've realized in going through um, this series, even in my own life, is how I'm still growing as well. We talk about expectations. Um, about a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, my wife asked me to clean up the garage. Now, um, guys, you know what honey-do lists are, and, and my wife said, honey, I, I can't get, I have an oversized garage, and in the back section of it, I just tend to just throw everything in there, and, and we have shelves, and once upon a time it was organized. But, you know, you pull stuff out, and it's just, I just kind of, I'm always busy and in a hurry. So I throw stuff in there. She tried to get into one of the shelves to find something she needed, and she couldn't get into it because of all my stuff that was blocking the way. So she very kindly, very nicely asked me, sweetheart, would you mind, uh, when you get a chance, cleaning up the garage? Just straighten it up. So I at least get to the, to the shelves. Yeah, 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 okay, I will. And then um, another week goes by, she asks me again, yeah, 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 I will. And the truth is, it took me weeks to finally get to the point where I even attempted to clean it up. I left the garage this morning, and here's what hit me as I walked, drove out of my garage. I still haven't completely finished the job of getting the garage cleaned up for her. I, I, I will, I promise. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is she has some expectations, and they were very reasonable of me. Now, we all live with expectations in our relationships. And to some degree, those uh, may not get met, and when they're not, uh, there's some frustration. And one of our expectations is romance. Let's watch this video together. Now, these are a bunch of English people. I wish they'd learn to speak English, but listen carefully. You'll figure this out. Wow. Um, 
most romantic thing she's ever done for me. Write me a poem. Um, it was very personal, quite intimate. He went to Vegas in May for his 50th birthday with his friends and he sent me flowers every day he was away. The most romantic thing my boyfriend's ever done for me is dedicate his first ever book to me. Had a bracelet in a book for me because at first I looked at the book and I was just like, thank you. She would hide little messages, so I'd find one in my suitcase, or I'd find one hidden in my wallet, I'd be there with my colleagues, my friends, and this little cute pink <laughs> letter of love would come out. He was like, oh, there's a couple around the corner that want to meet you. So I went round and made a little candle and made, like, the chefs had made two meals and he closed the restaurant. And there was, like, Ben Howard in the background, and it was just so nice. The music, I didn't hire Ben Howard. <laughs> she knows I love to kind of be by the river in Stratford, we went for lunch in the day, and then we went to a play. The most romantic thing my husband's ever done for me is secretly book a private rooftop candlelit dinner in Rome on our honeymoon. That was really romantic. My fiancé took me to Dublin to propose to me. He wanted the next milestone in his life to be where he was born. Chuck did a treasure hunt for me. He did quite a few in our early days. Funny enough, since we got married, we haven't had any, but they were pretty impressive. I have no idea what the guy in the brown sweater was saying. I, I, I don't know. But uh, what the video was portraying is the different romantic experiences that people had. And the truth is, uh, romance is something that a lot of us start relationships with. That's how most of them start. And we have some expectations there. But we live with this in, in all our relationships, some measure, some level of expectations. Now, if you expect uh, your husband to be more verbal... But in fact, he's a stone wall and not a great communicator. That may create some frustration. You have an expectation of, of communication with your spouse, and it doesn't happen. If you expect your wife, guys, to cook like a five-star chef, and her specialty is frozen pot pies, it might be a little bit of frustration from time to time. If your wife expects to be romanced, and you know, I love the one at the end where she said, he used to do all these treasure hunts with me before we got married. She says, funny thing, once we start, got married, you stopped doing that. Well, you, some of you think, well, why don't you do the things you used to do? And there may be a measure of frustration. We all, every one of us live with expectations in all our relationships. Every relationship, with your boss, you have expectations. With your kids, with your parents, with your neighbors, keep your dog quiet and out of my yard. We have expectations, and we certainly have them in our marriage relationship as well. It's human, it's normal. And here's, listen, it's okay. It's okay to have expectations. But what do you do when those, un, uh, those expectations go unmet and you lose that love and feeling? You, you love kind of hits the fan and things aren't going so well for you. Is it possible to recapture uh, your, your, your relationship, to grow through the times where even things aren't happening the way you expect them to happen? And I think it is. And I want to unpack today uh, what I think real love is. Uh, we'll deal with some issues that I, I, I would encourage you to take some notes this morning. But here's the first thing. What does real love look like and what does it mean? Well, real love, number one, is not romance because romance is not a permanent state in any long-term relationship. Now, romance is awesome. Romance is great. Romance is fun. Romance is hot. I encourage romance. But no one can live in a constant state of romantic bliss. Now, again, most, in fact, probably 99.9% .9 of all marriages started in romance. You just were wowed by this person. You doodled his name. You couldn't, you'd call her all the time. You want to spend every waking moment next to him or her. That's where, that's where relationships tend to start, in this romantic stage. And it's okay. It's good. 
What I'm saying, it's not reasonable to expect that to constantly be there all the time. I hate to break it to you, but real life is typically not like the movies, the romantic uh, comedies that we see that's not like that. It's not like the romance novels that way too many people read in our country. Do you know there's over $1 billion spent a year in America on romance novels? One billion bucks. And the problem is those things in a lot of the romantic comedies and stuff, they tend to create this unreal expectation. Well, why can't you be more like Hugh, whatever his name is, Hugh Grant, what's his name? Why can't you be more like, you know, uh, in the name, figure out your favorite person. We have these unrealistic expectations that we put in place based on the things that are around us. So we see one significant step in dealing with our expectations is to ter- determine whether they're reasonable or unreasonable. And that takes some maturity. But to ask the question, is this a legitimate need, expectation, or not? And sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But I'm here to tell you that expecting to always be overwhelmed with warm, gushy, romantic feelings 24-7 is not realistic and not reasonable. Not going to happen. Many years ago, my wife and I, in fact, we were in Portland. I was pastoring there, and we went through a very difficult time in our marriage. And just, we kind of got worn out. I'm not sure we even loved each other, you know, liked each other, let alone love each other. It was a lot of tension and a lot of stress in our relationship. A friend of ours said, hey, you know, I've got this great counselor. Why don't you go see her? And we made the wise choice. And it is a wise choice. Say, okay, we went. And we sat down with her. And I will never forget that. And I've shared this before. I will share it many times again because it is the most powerful picture that I ever had anybody share with me about what you should expect in a marriage. And she drew what she called this four recurring stages of covenant love. And I've got an illustration for you. I want you to see this. And some of you need to write this down. And again, if you've seen this before, good, because I want you to remember it. But all relationships, almost all of them start romance. That's where they begin. That's cool. That's all right. But romance always leads to some sort of trouble, an unmet expectation. Things didn't go the way you planned Your finances didn't go the way you thought they would go. You don't end up living in the house you wanted to live in. You don't have the kids you wanted to have. You don't have the whatever. Life is filled. You figure this out, right? You know this. Life is filled with difficulty and trouble, hardship. And so romance always leads to some level of trouble. And it could be something completely unrelated to your spouse, but it brings trouble into the relationship. And trouble almost always leads to what I call a valley of disillusionment. This valley of the shadow of death where we're just struggling and wondering, man, this is not what I signed up for. What happened? Why aren't you any fun to hang out with anymore? I don't, even, I don't like you, let alone love you. And we end up in this valley of disillusionment. And sadly, this is where millions and millions and millions of people every year, they just bail. They say, I'm out. This isn't what I want. This is too hard. And boom, they blow off their covenant vows. And I've never been to a, a wedding where there weren't some type of vows made in a ceremony. I promise to do such and such until death does part. Well, at this point, this is where people go, yeah, except, but no, not, not anymore. And they bail. But here's the cool part. When we stick through it, when we stay the course in this valley of disillusionment, what happens is that when we, we figure out that our spouse is committed to us even when we're not performing the way we ought to, even when there's unmet expectations, then it leads to this, this next season, the season of joy. And joy is not giddiness, it's not happiness, it's not, joy is this state of well-being where you know that she's committed to me. He, he's going to stay the course with me no matter what, and that brings joy into a relationship. And then joy always leads to more romance, always. But here's the deal, this could be a micro-cycle, 
You can go through this in one day. One hour. You can go through this, in, and, and again, sometimes you go through these seasons and it's weeks or maybe even months. I spoke with a lady once and she said, I think I've been in disillusionment for decades. And that's sad. That's, it's not the way it should be. But the fact of the matter is these are recurring stages. And we, the reason she called it recurring stages of covenant love is when you have a covenant love relationship, you stay the course. You keep going. In the course of life together, the truth is this cycle is normal. It is. It's normal. Romance never lasts forever. It doesn't. Trouble always comes. And you will find yourself in the valley of disillusionment more often than you want. I promise you that. I've been married almost 40 years, and i got a great wife, and we got a great marriage, but you will find yourself there thinking, how the heck did we end up here? What is going on? But the secret to survival is to not bail, to stay the course. The answer to, to, is to walk through that valley of disillusionment together because of covenant love. Now, I know, believe me, there's a, a hundred of you thinking, but what about, what if? Well, he was physically abusive. She did, she had an affair. I know there's a thousand what ifs. But I'm saying generally, through the, the general, normal cycle of, of romance, trouble, disillusionment, joy, that we've got to make the choice to stay the course and to stick to it because of covenant love. Listen, let me put it this way. There's no magic wand to making marriage work. There's just work. Lots and lots of work. And pity the fool who thinks it's always going to be romance at the top of that circle. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. He said, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now, we, we get that. We look outside and fall is here now. And it's pretty, it happens pretty quick in our neck of the woods. Weather gets cold, nights turn cold, and the leaves start to turn color, and then we'll get a big wind, and they're all gone. And then it'll be winter. Seasons, we understand seasons in nature. I'm telling you, the seasons in our relationships as well. And a wise person, again, will understand the seasons, the, cut, the cycle of covenant love. Now let me unpack a little bit more about this issue of trouble because it's where so many of us um, find ourselves from time to time. And when love hits the fan, what do you do? Well, here's a, number two. The second thing I want to point out today is real love recognizes that everyone has issues. We all have issues. We're all damaged. We're all broken. And every relationship you have, if, you, if it's with a breathing person, then they will let you down from time to time. They will fail. They will sin. They do have broken stuff in their lives that's going to break you and, 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 and damage the relationship. And you have stuff in your life that will do the same. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and no one measures up to God's glory. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard, his ideal. All of us, we're all broken. We all have issues. A guy came to me quite a while ago, and he uh, said, I need to talk to you about my wife. Okay? And he proceeded to just give me a long list of complaints. She doesn't take care of herself, and she doesn't ever, you know, she doesn't cook for me. I can't remember the last time I had a home-cooked meal, and I don't get enough of this, and I don't get enough it's on and on and on and on and on. Just, just really. I just listened for about 15 minutes, nodding, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah. He got done, and I said, well, can I ask you a question? Yes. And I'm sure he's expecting, you know, what can I do to help you get rid of her? I'm sure that's kind of what he was hoping I would say. And what I said was, well, let me ask you this question. What about you? And he gets this dumbfounded look at us and says, what do you mean? I go, well, tell me what's wrong with you. What are the issues that you have that are damaging your relationship? And he seriously acted as if I was from another planet. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm here to talk about my wife. She's the one with the problems. And I told him what I'm telling you. Listen, we all have baggage. 
Now, it might be carry-on size. It might be a big trunk. But we all have baggage, all of us. Here's another little insight. Ready? Ladies, all men are difficult. They, they all are. <laughs> you know, people say, I just got I just got to get a, I got to upgrade. I got to get a better husband. I go, they all have problems. <laughs> Guys, it's your turn. Ready? Here's a little insight. All women are complicated. <laughs> they are. I have, I, I've been married 40 years. I still don't understand everything about how she thinks. Sometimes we're, we're having a conversation and we recognize in the middle of it, it's like a foreign language. She's talking womanese, I'm talking manies. And it's like, I have no idea. I have no idea what you're saying. And it's pretty frustrating. Why? Because we're different and we're broken. We all have broken stuff. And it doesn't matter who you trade out or up for. He or she's broken too. Why do we get so self-righteous and so quick to point out the mistakes in the people around us? You know, Jesus addressed us in Matthew chapter 7. And I think he applied it, I know he applied it to all relationships, but I'm pretty sure he was thinking about marriage too. He says, why do you worry about the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? I could say in your spouse's eye, and you've completely ignored the two by four in yours. Jesus is pointing out, hey, listen, here's the principle. Here's, here's what you should do. And imagine, in fact, imagine what might change in all your relationships, but absolutely change in your marriage. If you truly focus first on your character, and your spouse's needs rather than your spouse's character and your needs. Some of you are a little slow in the uptake, so let me say that again. What if, what might radically, I promise you it will be radical, radical change would come about in your marriage or any relationship you have if you learn to focus first. I'm not saying we ignore stuff, their stuff. I'm saying you focus first on your character and first on their needs rather than first on their Character and your needs. That's what Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 7. When Laura and I went and saw this marriage counselor, she took us through the four recurring stages of covenant love. She drew the picture, and I was like, wow, that's pretty good. Man, I know where we're at. And you know what's cool is once you get there and you understand some of that language, many times over the years, many times, Laura and I have said, oh, well, I guess we're in the valley of disillusionment right now. And we know we have language. You understand what that means. So I looked at that picture, I knew I'd never forget it, and it really did begin to change and bring some healing to our marriage, to our relationship. But here's the other thing I, she told us. She said, here's your homework assignment. And she it was a great counselor. She said, here's your homework. I want you to go home. She said, each you separate, get your own pad of paper, and she said, I want you to sit and write down all the things that you appreciate, that you love, that you value about your spouse. So she looked at me, Kurt, that means, let me spell it out. You go home, and on one side of the paper, you write everything about Laura that you love, that you appreciate, that you value, stuff that's good about her. Stuff that you value. Okay. And then on the other side, she said, I want you to flip that over and write all the character things, the, the flaws, the stuff that's broken in you. I thought it was stupid. I mean, this is just a dumb exercise. I don't know what these, this, what's this, that's really, because I mean, I knew. It's like, you know, it's a whole my wife's problem. I don't have any problems. Well, I went home, and I began to do the exercise, and it didn't take me too long to start writing some things about my, my wife that I valued. You know, she's amazing here. She makes these incredible chocolate chip cookies. If you've had my wife's cookies, you know what I'm talking about. And so I, you know, I started listening to all these things about her, and I was like, okay, that was, that was good. I, yes, you're right. There's some great things that Laura has. Then I flipped the page over where I was supposed to list all my flaws, and I just sat there. Hmm. No, that's Laura. 
No, that's not really a problem. That's, I mean, she might say that, but what does she know? And I'm, you know, it took me five minutes to even think of one thing I could put on my side of the paper. Why? Because we humans are stupid and idiotic and proud, and, and I couldn't. But it was all of a sudden like the Holy Spirit just, it just blew up my mind and blew open my heart, and all of a sudden I realized all, and I saw from God's perspective the crud in my life. And I started weeping, and I tell you, it took two pages to list all the stuff that are character issues in my own life. I'm not as good as I think I am, and she's not as bad as I sometimes think she is. Focus first on your spouse's needs and your character rather than her character, his character, and your needs. It's important. Here's the third thing, number three. Real love takes work and continues to grow with time. Real love takes work. And that's why I started with blowing up the whole romance thing because romance is easy. Romance is fun. Romance is not hard. But everything else takes a lot of work. Often over time we forget um, and we just get lazy. We grow lazy in our relationships. The truth is, over time our love ought to improve and grow stronger. That's God's plan. In a relationship with him, over time, does God want your love for him to grow weaker or stronger? Stronger, of course. As you grow and mature in your relationship with God the Father, he wants you to fall more madly in love with him and to know him better and to love him more, to be closer. When you start as a, as a baby Christian, as a new Christ follower, you fall in love, you love him, you're so grateful. And then over the years and the decades, by the time you get my age or even older, you ought to be just the most amazed person at the love of God because you've experienced it for decades you know it, so you love God. Love should grow with time. Let me just give you a little insight. That's the way God intended your marriage to be. That with time, it wouldn't grow weaker. It wouldn't grow worn out, but it would grow stronger. But the problem is, over time, we often take our spouse for granted. Sometimes we neglect to do the very things that we used to do that demonstrated our care, affection, and love. I don't think we do that intentionally. I've never met anybody who just wanted to be... Um, mean and vindictive for the sake of being mean. But we stop caring about the little things that, and guys, ladies, the little things do matter. And we just stop doing the things that we used to do. He used to open the door for me, but he doesn't do that anymore. Well, she used to put little notes in my, my briefcase or in my, my lunch and I, just to surprise me. Well, he used to hold my hand in public and, and couldn't keep his hands off PDA all the time. And I can't remember the last time we held hands anywhere. Well, she used to wear those hot little nighties and when he used to take a bath. <laughs> but part of it is we, we just, we grow lazy. We just don't do the things we used to do. In the romance stage of relationships, we often do things to win. The love, the affection, appreciation, even the admiration of that person we're wooing because we want to win them. But after a while, the very things that we did, that we used to do, they drift away. And I want to challenge you to do the things you did at first and to do them even better. To do them even better. Our love should grow stronger with time. I get I, I'm so excited, and, and Lord, I always point them out when we're walking in the mall or, or someplace, and, and we see this 90-year-old couple holding hands and walking together. And I think, wow, that's who we want to be. Our love needs to grow stronger. The Apostle Paul wrote some things, some admonitions, in fact, lots of them, uh, generally to the church at large, or to a church, like one I'm going to read, to the church in Galatia. Now, truth. When Paul wrote his admonitions, he wrote to the community of faith. But here's a little truism that I want you to understand. 
when he talked about our relationships with one another, that absolutely includes our spouse. And so whenever you read one of the one another passages in the New Testament, you can always apply that to your spouse, to your husband or to your wife. And Paul said this in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, apply this to your marriage. Don't give up doing good. Don't, don't stop. Stay the course. Don't get tired of doing good. And then verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, listen, it says, whenever you can, take hold of. Whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. And I would add, we should do good to our spouse. Our natural tendency, our human nature, is over time we grow tired. We get weary in well-doing. But Paul says, don't give up. Keep doing good. Remember the cycle of covenant love and bless your spouse. Do good for them, even in the valley of disillusionment. In fact, I would say especially when times are hard, when you're in trouble and disillusioned, and the last thing you want to do is something nice for him or her, that's the best time to do it. That's when you're going to be the most like Jesus. Jesus said, do good to those who curse you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully. Jesus said, when you're at your, somebody's treating you the worst they possibly can, that's when you have this incredible opportunity to do something awesome and to be just like me, to bless them. I'm going to give you five ways that you can do that. We'll punch through this pretty quick. They're often referred to as the five love languages. Gary Chapman wrote a great book. It's been around for a long time, probably one of the best-selling marriage books out there. I think that, that Gary's right. In his book, Five Love Languages, he says that typically one or two of these resonate with a person, that one or two of these things are like, oh, that's really me. Oh, yeah, I don't care about that, but yeah, I care about that. I think that is true, but I also think all five of them are something that we need to practice, that even if it's not the number one love language of your spouse. All five of these are good to do all the time. And here's the first one, letter A. Love them through words of encouragement and appreciation. Beginning of this series, I talked about how words matter, how important they are. And for some of us, the way to best bless them, to feed them, to best love on them, it's through some simple words of just affirmation, love, affection, to say some things to them that will make a difference. One of the things my wife says to me, has for years said to me, honey, I'm, I'm proud of you. Now, I, when I hear that, everything in me just, guess what my love language is? You know, words of affirmation. I just, oh, thanks, honey. And, and so it blesses me, but it also it creates in me this desire to want to be that man. I want her to be proud of me. She says, she's proud of me. You watch, watch him. You watch me. I'm going to be even more prouder for you. So we... We, we, we lose words to bless and to build each other up, and it's certainly something we can and should do. And if that's your spouse's love language, then get good at it. Let her be. Love them through small gifts of gratitude, tokens of, of appreciation, of value. And by the way, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Well, I don't need money. I can't be buying gifts all the time. Something simple that just says, I thought of you. What's your wife's favorite candy bar? Bring it home some days. Hey, I, I stopped on the way home. I took 10 minutes to run in a safe way to buy this for you just because I love you. And if that's, a, if that's her love language, small gifts of tokens of appreciation, wow, watch her light up. Reese's. It's awesome when you just do simple things. I, my wife, I, you know, I, she's a frugal Irish woman, so if I brought $50 roses home all the time, she'd be mad. But I, to stop at the store and just pick up a $9.99 bouquet of flowers that Fred Meyer blesses the socks after her. Just because. It's not our anniversary. It's nothing. Just because I thought of you. 
Love them through small gifts of gratitude. Letter C, love them through simple acts of service. For some people, the best way you can say I love you is to surprise them with a simple act of selflessness on your part and serve them. Your wife typically does this, empties the dishwasher, surprise her, and you do it once in a while. Make her bed every so often just because you can. You know, it's, it's, I, I, she maybe normally is the last one out of bed, and she makes it, but, you know, you're in the shower, you get out, and you go, I'm going to make the bed today just because it's a simple way of saying I, I, I love you, I appreciate you. Simple things. You know, I, I said last week that uh, Kevin Lehman, Dr. Kevin Lehman's book, Sex, uh, Great Sex Starts in the Kitchen, is a great book. And most of the guys, the minute I say that, they go this way. What he means is serve. Find ways to serve your spouse. And many women, except, especially um, women who, this is their love language, they'll be blessed by meaningful acts of service for them. Galatians 5.13, again, Paul is speaking to the church, but it applies in a marriage. He says, serve one another humbly in love. Yep, it's absolutely something we are to do in all our relationships, but it applies, and you have the best opportunity to do that in your marriage. 1 John 3.18, John says, Dear children, don't just talk about love. Put your love into action. And I would encourage you every day, use your words. Tell them, I love you, I love you, I love you. But every day, demonstrate. Put your love into action, John says. Find ways to show it, not just tell it. Letter D, love them through physical, non-sexual touch. I have mentioned this a couple times. Gentlemen, for most women, affection is just uh, affection for the sake of affection. It's not foreplay. It's selfless TLC. And I would encourage you, if that's what your wife, if that's her love language, then you, you need to find ways to get better at that. And I mentioned last week, I've mentioned this a couple times now, ask. If you're not sure, well, ask. Say, sweetheart, do you like when I demonstrate affection to you? And most of them are going to say, oh, yeah. Now, if it's their love language, yes. Well, what can I do? What's the best way for me to demonstrate that? How, what would you like me to do? Well, you used to massage my feet. And your first thought is, have you seen your feet? <laughs> but you realize, no, that's what I need. That's, if that says I love you, then I'm going to do what I can. And here's the last one, letter E. Love them through quality, the gift of quality time. The gift of quality time. For my wife, this is certainly uh, one of, if not her top, love language. And quality time with her. Not just time sitting in front of the, the idiot box watching TV, but time where we take walks and we try to do it all the time. Where I, she has my full attention. And by the way, that's why I'm pretty protective about my Friday. And this last Friday, I had some events going on. It was uh, things happening, and occasionally that takes place. But generally, I don't even turn my phone on on Friday. I don't check my email. Don't die on a Friday because I won't know about it until Saturday. I, and you think, well, I should not write. I work six days a week, and my wife's love language is quality time. And so she gets my time on Friday without distraction. If I run into you at the mall or someplace on a Friday and I'm with my wife, I might say hi, but we're not going to spend 10, 15 minutes talking because this is my wife's day, and that's the way I best can tell and show her that I love her, that she has my full and undivided attention on that day. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 12. Treat others as you want them to treat you. We call that the what? The golden rule, yep. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. And that's what I want to encourage you to do in your relationships. If you want to recapture some passion, if you want to recapture some of the, the, the fire in your relationship, remember the seasons of covenant love, that they're recurring and that everybody goes through this. 
Remind yourself on a regular basis, you're not perfect and neither is he or she. No one is perfect, including you. And then find ways to do the things you did at first, things that consistently communicate to your spouse, you mean the world to me. One last story and I'm done. I uh, got married at 18. And yes, that's young. I don't recommend that. But I was a month out of high school when Laura and I got married. We were high school sweethearts. And um, my pastor, our pastor, Paul Plummer, a long-term family friend. In fact, he dedicated me to the Lord as a child and then married us. And he's very special. He's with Jesus now. He died a few years ago. But Pastor Paul is a guy I've loved all my life. And we went to him and said, we want to get married. This is great. And back then, uh, the church generally didn't do a lot of, and I mean the church capital C, just didn't do a lot of premarital training. Ask anybody in their 50s if they did much in terms of premarital training. They'll go, no, not really. We might have had a book or two or somebody said, well, come meet with me and, and for a session or two. And, and it was fairly general and not real deep and not real helpful, to be honest with you. But we met with Pastor Paul, and, and uh, I remember sitting in his little corner office right outside this, this auditorium and up front. And, and we sat down, and he sat there, and he looked at us. He said, well, the first thing I want to tell you is marriage is hard. I'm 18. And I'm thinking, dude, marriage might be hard for you, but I got this thing nailed. I got it figured out. We're going to be fine. I seriously, when he said marriage is hard, I just want you to know that, I'm thinking, well, I know, but that's not us. That was the first marital mistake I made, and I wasn't even married yet because I was ignorant. And about a month later, I realized, man, marriage really is difficult. He is right. It really is hard. Now, having said that, and you think, well, that's kind of negative. No, that's real. The truth is, and here's where I want to land today. God uses the trouble and the disillusionment in our life to mold us into the men and women that he wants us to be. God has used this woman to help me become a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better man, a better son. She's, God has used her in my life, and I believe that God's used me in her life as well. And it's through the difficult times that we tend to grow the most. Have you figured that out yet? It's, we don't grow a lot of romance as much as that is fun. We tend to grow when we stick to it and develop and discover things about us that need to change. And though marriage is hard, marriage is a gift to you. It is a gift to you that God intended to help you become all that he wants you to be. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, marriage was your idea. And I know at times I frankly have thought, I don't know why you did this because it doesn't seem to be very easy, and it's not. But you knew what was best for us, and you designed this covenant marriage relationship to help us become not only good husbands and good wives, but good men and good women good people. And I know, Lord, I'm very aware there's some um, sitting here right now or listening online that are in a very difficult relationship. They're in that valley of disillusionment. And some, Lord, I, I, I'm probably even this week, they've talked about divorce. They've talked about giving up or they've thought about it. And I know, God, how hard it is. And I am, I'm compassionate and I'm caring and I understand because I've been there. But Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you breathe hope into their hearts right now. That they would see um, where they're at in that circle of love, that covenant circle of love, and that they, would, that they would figure out by your grace and by your help how to stay the course, to get to that season of joy that I know they will find. And Lord, for those that have feel like, man, I've just, I blew it, I should have done this, I could have done that. Lord, you don't want us to live in the land of should have, could have's. And so I just pray that you give us grace and that you would remind us today that we, that we can walk out of here forgiven 
but help us to walk out of here changed as well and committed to grow in our current or our next relationship in a way that will be God-honoring for you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as Christ follower. And you realize, man, I, I need God. I, I want his forgiveness. And I'm, you've been thinking about this. And today you just realize it's time. It's time for you to say yes to God, to surrender your life to him. And the great exchange is you surrender your life and all your past, present, and future, all the stuff. And the exchange is he gives you his life. As Matt in communion earlier mentioned, we get him inside of us, changing us from the inside out. We become his kids forever. And if that's you, that's what you want, just make this simple prayer right now. What I'm going to say, just make this prayer yours. Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I am broken. I do need a Savior. I've done it my way. I've tried it my way for a long time, and I realize today I need you. And so I surrender. I give you my life, my brokenness, my past, my sin, my hopes, my dreams. It's all yours now. And I trust you. I entrust my life to you. Thank you for giving your life for me, Jesus, on that cross. And today I say, yes, I will follow you. Come live inside of me. Empower me to become the man or the woman that I can never be on my own. Thank you. Now, if that's your heart, your prayer, your own way to say, yep, God, that's me. It's what I want. And the Bible says the moment you say yes, you become his. And he lives. He takes up his residence. See, in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. That's a mystery, but it's, it's amazing. It's God in you now. Lord, for those making that decision, show them what it means. Show them what you're doing. Show them this is the first step of a journey that will take them from here into eternity. But show them, God, how much they're loved and how good you are. And that they belong to you now. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with the last song of worship. Our tradition at East Point is to give during this time. And we do that because we believe giving is an act of worship. That it's one way for us to honor God, to say thank you to God. If you're a guest today, you don't feel obligated to give, but if you're here today, you want to worship the Lord with us. If this is your church family. Give to support what God is doing. Well, let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. It struck me this morning when we sang that in the first service, how our relationship with God is, is often, I find myself in trouble. Maybe even the valley of disillusionment. And I question my love for him. But the thing is, I, I, I know that his love knows no end, no matter what we're going through. No matter what I find myself in, what condition I find myself in personally or in my marriage, God is always there for you. And I hope that gives you some hope today to know that you're not alone in this journey. As much as we feel that way at times, he is always there. And his love for you knows absolutely no end. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, I want you to encourage, encourage you to tell somebody. Let them know. You're going to make their day. And on the tables, by the doors as you leave, there's a package that's for new believers. Got a Bible, some material that gets you starting a walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up as well. And let us walk with you in this journey. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. Guys, if you need counseling in your marriage, I don't have the opportunity to do that much anymore. Um, but we've got uh, some great counselors in this church and some other great pastors. And if you call and you say, I need to talk to someone about my marriage, we'll get you connected with some people that can help you and walk you through it. Because there is hope. But sometimes we need help along the way. So I would encourage you to do that. My hope, my prayer for you this week is that you'll go knowing how much he loves you. You'll know his plan for you is good. 
And that you'll come back next week ready to hear about spiritual gifts and how God wants to show you how they matter in your life. Thanks for being here today. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.